0: Verse number 11, the Bible says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. As those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things, whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to call your attention back to verse number 14 to a very familiar uh, phrase to us. Uh, And it is that phrase under grace. It says, For ye are not under the law, but under grace. And that phrase right there really describes who we are and what we are when we get saved. We are now under grace. And really this whole text, I believe, describes for us what it means, what life is like for the believer that is under grace. And so that's what I want to title the lesson tonight. I just want to title it Life Under Grace. And that's what... We're living. We are living life under grace. Now, before we got saved, we were living life under law or life uh, away from grace, under, under sin, under bondage. But now we are living under grace. And so that is how Paul describes our current condition. Our current situation is life under grace and of course you know in this chapter uh, keeping it in context we know that there were those that were critics of the grace of God to them grace was nothing more than just a license to sin that's what it looked like from the outside looking in they thought man if you know if you can just sin and however much you sin grace abounds then why not keep sinning that way grace can keep abounding and that way you can just do whatever you want to do and for them this was their argument against grace no we We must live under the law. We must live under the bondage of the law because if we don't live under law, then people are going to just do whatever they want to do and then that's mayhem and that's mess. Well, can I tell you something? Uh, Life under the law was mayhem and mess is what it was. If being under the law could fix a man and solve a man and keep him from sin, uh, then that would be a good thing. But the law does not keep a man from sin. Uh, The law, All the law does is expose a man as a sinner. Thank <laughs> you. We'll get to more of that when we get to chapter 7. Only the grace of God can change a man from the inside out and make him love the law and make him love uh, God's word and love holiness and want to live right. It changes the very motivations and the desires that are inside of man. And that is the misinterpretation of grace that was being perpetuated here and that Paul is answering. Grace does more than just cover yourself sin. Grace does more than just forgive you. Grace radically changes you from the inside out. Grace is not limited to forgiveness. Grace is transformational. It's freedom from sin. It is the empowerment to do that which is pleasing to God. It's an implant of new desires and new motivations for holiness. That's what grace is. And those that view the gospel of grace in this way of, well, you can just do whatever you want to do, they don't understand grace, and they sure enough have never experienced grace. Because when you experience grace, it is a transformational thing. The relationship with sin is totally different than what it was before you got saved. And they don't understand, and that's what Paul goes through in the first part of this chapter. They really don't understand. Anybody that would make that accusation about the grace of God, they really don't understand the magnitude of salvation. And listen, people that believe that you can be saved and then just be just like you were before you got saved, or people that believe you can be saved and then lose your salvation, let me tell you, both of those issues, both of those uh, assessments of, of the doctrine of salvation, uh, they do not take into account the magnitude of salvation. Salvation Salvation is a big deal. It's such a huge thing that neither one of those things can be true. And that's what Paul gets into with the fact that don't you know, don't you realize that when you're saved, you are put in Christ and you've been baptized. There's a death and a burial and a resurrection that has occurred in your life. You are not who you used to be. It's too big. Salvation is too big to be what you used to be. And that's why I don't care what your testimony is. I don't care if your testimony is you were a strung out on dope and drugs and God brought you to your knees and you trembled under conviction. Or if your testimony is you were raised in Sunday school and you got saved at six years old. I don't care what your testimony is. There is no such thing as a boring testimony. Because everybody that got saved, no matter what side of the tracks you came from, everybody that got saved got a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And I'm going to tell you something. There ain't nothing boring about a resurrection. Amen. 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 Nobody ever seen a resurrection and said, oh, Show me something else. Amen. I'll tell you, if you ever go to a funeral and there's a resurrection, that'll be the most exciting funeral you've ever been to. Somebody say amen right there. When somebody gets born again, somebody gets put in Christ, there's a death, a burial, and a resurrection that takes place. Ain't nothing boring about that. Amen. Ain't no such thing as a boring testimony. It's a big deal. And so Paul takes the time here to describe what life is like, living under the grace of God. He said, you don't understand. You, you You can't believe that grace just leads you to more sin You've got to have a right understanding of the grace of God. And also, it's amazing. Look, look at the text here. I want you to see something amazing about there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a, a transition in, 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 in this chapter. The first ten verses or so, Paul is talking about he and we. There's a we. We have been planted together in the likeness of his death. Our old man. Uh, he that is dead from sin, we be dead with Christ. We believe, we shall also live with him. I'm in verse 8. I'm just picking out a few. There's a lot of we. But when we get to verse number 11, now in the rest of the chapters, it's a bunch of yees. You see, the first part, he is describing uh, what happened to all of us when we got born again. We all, every single, every single person, when you got saved, you got put in Christ. Okay? And all these things, the death, the burial, and the resurrection that we talked about and experience, it happens to everybody. We all, all of us, all all of us are in that category. But now when we get to verse number 11, there's a little bit of transition in the chapter in this sense. He's still talking about uh, these things and, and the truths, the, the the realities, our identity in Christ. But yet there is, a, there is not just descriptive qualities in this chapter. Now there begins to be some prescriptive, prescriptive qualities in this chapter. He's telling us what to do. He, there's, actually, there's actually commands. There are, there are things that you need to know. If you're saved, if you're in Christ, here are things that you need to do. Here are things that you need to understand and here are things that you need to apply in your life. And so there is a ye. He's, he's speaking directly. He's not talking to the critics Critics are listening. They need to listen to the conversation to get straightened out. But now he's talking to the Christians. And you need to understand who you are in Jesus and you understand how to apply that to your everyday life. And if we could get this, if we could get the, these verses right here, we could know what it's like to experience victory in our life. Not just in principle that Jesus died for our sins, but actually in practice and in performance and realizing we can live every day. You say, are you talking about sinless perfection? I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I don't believe we'll ever achieve that in this life. But that doesn't mean, don't use that to lean on. Don't use that as a crutch to re- and, and say, well, we'll just, we're just going to have to live defeated. All our sin's just going to rule and reign and it's just going to have its way our life no sir no ma'am that's not the Christian life you can live in victory in your Christian life even over sin amen that's right in fact it's not you can you ought to you should and uh and that's the way that's the way we ought to live so life under grace let me just make a few comments about life under grace there's three three words I want to give you here about life under grace three statements I'm going to make number one uh, life under grace, you need to know this that there is freedom living under grace. Freedom's the first word I want you to think about with me tonight. This is kind of, we're kind of connecting to what we looked at last week. We ended on freedom last week, we're beginning with freedom this week. Look at verse, go back up to verse number seven. This is what we looked at last week. Now, he that is dead is freed. From sin. Look at verse 14. I'm just picking out a couple of phrases here. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That is a freedom from sin. Verse number 18, he said, being then made free from sin. Verse number 22, but now being made... Free from sin. The first thing you need to know about life under grace and living under grace is that we have a freedom. Grace puts us in Christ, baptizes us into the body of Christ. His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. And now we are free from the domination of sin. It has freed us from the dominion of sin. Our relationship with sin has radically changed. Sin, verse 14, shall not have dominion over you. What does dominion mean? It means to lord over, it means to be the Lord of. It means to have power over. Sin is a monarch. Sin is a king that I am no longer subject to. I am not a citizen of sin's country anymore. He cannot tell me what to do any longer. I am not subject to him. I do not have to live under his rule. I do not have to live under his reign. I have been set free. And one of the first steps, the first keys of victory is knowing that that is true. And verse number 11 is our verse here for right now. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin. It is that word reckon. You need to underline that. That is not a southern word. That is a Bible word. That is an accounting word. When we use the word reckon, we say that's more like I think so, I hope so, maybe so. That's not what it means uh, in the Bible. It is a for sure thing. It's counted up. It's an accounting term. It just literally means to count it all up, to take it into account. And in our text here, it literally means to believe what God says is true about your life. It's, It's not, do you feel dead to sin? That's not what it is. It's not, do you feel it? How do you feel? No, it is true. If you're saved, it is true that you are dead to the power of sin in your life. And so now it is your job to reckon it. It's like a reckoning, right? It is an accounting. It is. It is a. It it, it is coming uh, to the bottom line. Get to the. What is the bottom line of salvation? The bottom line is I am not under the power of sin anymore. And we must know that it is true, and we must believe that it is true before we are ever going to be able to act upon its truth. You have to reckon it. So sin is not my master anymore. When it comes in your life and tries to tell you what to do, and you're. Your flesh tries to rule your life, you need to look it square in the eyes and say, You are not my master. You don't get to tell me what to do. Amen. Amen. And you gotta know that first. You gotta you gotta believe it and you gotta know it and you gotta operate it. So, number one, there is freedom living under grace. Number two, there is responsibility living under grace. There is responsibility living under grace. Now, listen, grace is freedom, okay? It is free. We are free, okay? But it is not freedom from personal responsibility. Grace simply gives you the power and the freedom to now live holy unto God. You see, listen, and I may make this statement again. I think it comes up a little bit later, but I think it fits right here as well. Listen, you're never. You're never gonna just be, you're autonomous. You, 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 can't, you can't live independent. You're always gonna have a master. And now, and I know we sing about free, we just sing, He set me free, and that is true. The choir sings, Thank God I'm free, free, free from this world, and that is, that is true. We are free. But I want you to know, you're not free like you're your own master now. You're free from the old master you used to have. You have a new master now. Nobody is ever free. Somebody, you're always the servant of something. You're always the servant of somebody. Now you can't serve two masters. That's what Jesus said. But you can't serve zero masters either. It's impossible. You are either the servant of sin Or you are the servant of righteousness. And I'm jumping ahead here. But listen, it is our responsibility to live for God. Live unto God. And now we are free and we have the responsibility. Do you see how the responsibility has been placed in our lives? Verse number 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. That is responsibility. Let not sin reign reign in your body. What does that sound like? That sounds like that is your job to make sure sin is not reigning. Don't allow it to happen. Don't let it happen. Yes, we're free, but you're not free to sin. You're not free to live as you want. You're free to live as you ought. Amen. Amen. You're free to live as you ought. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, is what he says. Sin can only reign. Reigning, dominating, the monarch, the king, the ruler of your life. Sin can only be that if you allow it. The ball's in your court. God has given you all the tools you need. God has set you free. He has changed your legal status in heaven. He has, cha- he has given you everything you need. You are not what you used to be. You're a new creation. And now don't go back and live, from, uh, and live in what God saved you from. Verse 13, he says, and by the way, we got so much to cover. I can't cover every little phrase. I'm trying to just get the big picture here. I feel like that's what we need to do tonight. But he talks about the lust, that you should obey it and the lust thereof. Man, I could spend while wow, on the lust of our flesh. Talked about the, John talked about the things that were in the world, the, pride, the, the lust of the eyes, the, uh, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Man, all these things, the lust. Think about the numerous lusts of our flesh. That's not just a sexual thing. That's just any desire. Lust is simply any desire that is forbidden by God. Anything that is outside of the will of God that your flesh wants, that is a lust. And you are not, it is your responsibility to deprive your flesh and say no to your flesh. Why? On the basis of, listen, I don't belong to you anymore. You don't, you know, it's like, it's like the state of Georgia uh, sending me a letter asking for state taxes. I don't live in Georgia anymore. They they're not I'm not under their jurisdiction any longer. They have no right to ask me to pay anything. Amen. I'm not there. You know why? And so when I get that letter, you know what I can say? And I legally have grounds. I have all legal grounds to be able to respond to that letter with a big fat no. Amen. You have no right to me any longer. North Carolina's bleeding me dry right now. Thanks a lot. So anyways, verse 13, here's more responsibility. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. You know that word yield right there? That's an interesting word, yield. I think we all know what that means. It means to place uh, at one's disposal. To give somebody, you think of it in traffic, you think of it as give somebody the right of way to let them have place. It means to take something and place it at your at somebody else's disposal. They can have it. You can yield if I were to. Uh, yield this bottle of water to somebody uh, sitting on the front row, I would give it to them. I would hand it to them. You can do with it whatever you want to do. It's no longer mine. I no longer have possession of it. I no longer have rights of it. Now it is yours to do. I'm giving you what is mine. It, it is now in your power. It is under your control. That's what the word yield means. And the responsibility of every Christian is not to yield our in our members as instruments of unrighteous what are your members that's your body that's what it is that's your body that's what your members that's your mind that's your mouth that's your eyes that's your ears that's your hands that's your feet That's everything that you have. It's amazing. If you go through the members that are listed in the Bible, uh, it's amazing how how, uh, members are personified in the the Bible. You know, the Bible talks about, in the Proverbs, I I believe it is, I should have looked these references up, but maybe y'all can go behind me a little bit and check me out. But the Proverbs talks about, Hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are swift to run to mischief. In the book of James, the Bible talks about our tongue. It's a member set on fire of hell, is what it says. It's a member. It's almost like the Bible speaks of these things almost like they operate independent by themselves. We know that's not how it works, but yet that is something. These are instruments. You know what an instrument is? It's a tool. It's a weapon or or a tool, something you use. And the Bible says don't take the members of your body and give them to sin and let sin use them as a weapon or use them as a tool for unrighteous things. Don't give what you have to sin. You don't owe sin anything anymore. It cannot tell you what to do. Quit giving it stuff. That would be like me sending money to the Georgia State uh, Department of Revenue, right? They don't have any jurisdiction over me anymore. I definitely ain't going to send them anything. Why would I give up what I have and let them blow it? Right, I mean, they voted for Biden anyway, didn't they? Went blue. I ain't gonna give him no money. Good gracious. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yielding your members. So don't do that. That's your responsibility. Don't give the de- listen, hey, young people. Don't give the devil your minds, because he only uses it for one thing. Listen, don't give the devil. Listen, don't give the devil your ears. Don't give the devil your. Don't give the devil your eyes. Don't give the devil your hands. Don't give him your feet. Yield your body. Don't and it's not just a negative in verse twelve, but verse thirteen, well, there's a positive, but yield yourselves unto God. Give yourself listen, if you're gonna give up yourself, give it to the one who bought you and paid for you and owned you. Amen. Don't you know you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, in light of that fact, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Give them to Him. They belong to Him. Let God have your mind. Man, what God could do with some of these young people's mind, if they would say, God, I'm not going to put my mind on the junk of this world. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you do something with it. Man, what God would do what could God do with your hands if you gave it? What could God do with your feet if you gave? What could God do with your tongue if you yielded it to God and surrendered it to God? Instead of taking what you have and giving it to sin, take what you have and give it to God and see what God will do with it. Amen. Amen. There's a positive part. Of it. it's, not just neg- it's not just don't give it to sin, because then what are you going to do with it? No, there's a don't give it to sin, give it to God. Give it to God. And there's a negative and a positive. And on what basis, what what, what basis do we not yield these things to sin and give them to God as those, verse 13, that are alive from the dead? Man, God raised us up. Now we have the ability, we have the option, we have the opportunity to give what we have and let God use what we have. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Let God use what you have for righteousness. By the way, this ain't just for young people, by the way. Amen. This is for everybody in here. Amen. Every single person here. You say, well, I listen, my, 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 my body, my members, it ain't all what it used to be. I don't care. Take it and give it to God. Let God use it. Quit letting sin have your mind and have your hands and have everything you got. Give it all to God. Give it all to God. And and Paul will speak of it again when he gets to Romans 12. He just says, present your whole body a living sacrifice unto God. It's our what? Reasonable service, right? Based on everything he does. He's done for us. It's consistent with who we are. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. Verse fifteen, he's kind of restating the whole premise of this entire chapter. It's kind of what we started on in verse one and two. What then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. God forbid. Verse sixteen. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are; to whom ye obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Very simple principle. And I already this is the one that I got a little ahead of myself a little bit ago. Your master. Uh, Your master is whoever you obey. That's your master. Whoever you submit yourself to, that's who the master of your life is. That's who the Lord of your life is. Grace does not absolve you from intentionally... Yielding your body to God on a daily basis. Grace doesn't just free you. Now you can do what you want. No, grace frees you from the old master. So now you can every day present yourself before God and say, Lord, here I am. Here's all of me. Take me and do what you want to with me. But the problem we have is our old monarch, our old king, keeps trying to lay claim on our life. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? We know it's all true. We know and, and even, listen, <laughs> we know this is true. You can even get up in the morning and say, God, I give you all of me. Listen, sin don't care. The no, devil don't care about that prayer you just prayed. So, Oh, that was cute. Read your Bible this morning. How, how precious. It doesn't matter. It's always trying to dominate your life. Uh, the best illustration I could think about was, it's just something current. It's been in the news here recently, and that is with um, the, the country of Ukraine. We've all seen what's been going on there. Did you know that Ukraine for almost 70 years, right at 70 years, was under the dominion and under the control of Russia, the Soviet Union, right? USSR. In 1991, December of 1991, Ukraine finally declared, gained, ratified their independence. They are an independent country. They are a, Ukraine is a sovereign nation, and they have. That's 1991. Let's see how long ago. How long ago was that? That's uh, that's 30 years ago, right? 91 to 2021 uh, 20, would be 30 years. So 31 years. That was. 31 years ago. Ukraine has been dead to Russia for 31 years. But Russia ain't dead to Ukraine. Here comes Russia. They're still trying to invade. They're still trying to take over. They're still trying to bring Ukraine under its domination, under its control. Even though legally it was ratified, they are free from the dominion of the Soviet Union, the Rus- Russia, whatever you want to call them, a bunch of, commun- bunch of, bunch of yeah. communists over there. Whatever you want to call them, they're free, but nobody notified Russia about it, obviously. They think they can still come in and do whatever they want to do. Can I tell you, that's exactly your relationship with sin. You are dead to it, but it still wants to come in and, and usurp. It wants to come in and assert domination and control over your life. And what we've been seeing in the news, we've been seeing what? The president of Ukraine and all the people, they've been standing up. They won't yield, will they? They won't give in. They'll say, no, we're going to fight till the death. Man, that has to be us with sin. we got to keep fighting. We cannot give in. We cannot lay down. We cannot just roll over and let sin dominate our life anymore. We cannot do these things. We have responsibility. Just because you've been given grace, that's not grace to go back under the dominion of sin. Verses 17 and 18, confirmation of our new position under grace. We're not servants of sin any longer, but God, verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. That's just another way of saying they got saved. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. He's again, this is the same thing, it's just over and over. You're not that anymore. How many times does Paul have to tell us, you're not that anymore. Here's what you are now. Uh, A lot. In fact, we need to tell ourselves that about a thousand times a day. That's why it keeps coming up over and over and over. Because that is the key to victory. It's knowing who you are and operating that truth. It's not do better. It's not try harder. It's try harder. It's not like, oh, I'm just really, really, really going to try to live for God. No, it, it, starts, it starts in knowing who you are. It is your identity. That's where it, all re- it rests on identity, and then it moves from there. Because, listen, I, I can try all day long. Look, every responsibility that is laid on us is rooted in our identity, who we are in Jesus. What I mean by that is this, is that we're not expected to do something that is impossible for us to do. Now, if the Atlanta Braves were to put me on the mound to pitch the bottom of the ninth to save a game, uh, I'm going to tell you something, that would be putting a responsibility on me uh, that uh, my identity does not support, to put it nicely. I'm not, you know why I can't do it? Because I'm not a pitcher. I'm not an athlete. I'm not even... All right, we'll just stop right there. I'm not an athlete. That's not my identity. That's not who I am. But now, if you were to take one of the the boys out of the bullpen, Atlanta Braves, and put them in the pulpit, and ask them to preach the Wednesday night message, well, good gracious, they couldn't do that either. That would be putting on them a responsibility. They do not have the identity... They may or may not be saved. They are not called to preach. They're definitely not the pastor of this church. That's not their identity. That's not who they are. You put a responsibility on them that their identity does not support. That is not the case with us, my friend. When God calls us to holiness, when He calls us to clean it, that is not above and beyond what God, God changed you first and then He expects. God doesn't expect holiness out of a lost man. He doesn't, expect, he doesn't expect righteousness out of, a, out, 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 of a, out of an unsaved man, an unconverted man. But when He gives you grace and He baptizes you into Christ, your identity has changed and now the responsibilities are not absurd. They are... They're, it's, the, it's what Watchman Nee called the normal Christian life. If you've never read that book by Watchman Nee, get that book. The normal, the spirit-filled life, living in victory—that's not weird. That's not some super Christian. That's the normal Christian life. That's what it is. Because that's who you are. Verse nineteen—I don't have time to parse every little phrase here, but verse nineteen, he says, "I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh." The best I can tell, it just—he just it just right there that it's just—he's—he's he's using these. This analogy of of dominion and servants and and, and being a slave to sin. He's using this. It's after the manner of men. It's it's, it's an illustration that we can understand because the infirmity of our flesh, because we're just so weak and we have trouble understanding things, it's to help us understand. Verse 19, it's a summation of our responsibility. Give to God what you used to give to the flesh. That's what he says at verse 19. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to the righteous and the How many remember before you got saved what you used to use your hands for? How many remember before you got saved what you used to use your mouth for? And your feet. Where did your feet take you? What did your hands used to do? What did your mind used to come up with? He said, now take all those things that you used to use for Satan and used to use for sin. He said, now use them for God. Give them to God. Verse twenty, he said, "For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness." And that is the truth. Uh, when you were the, you used to be the servants of sin. You were free from righteousness. It's like saying, uh, uh, "It's like saying when you were broke, you were free from wealth." <laughs> you know, I mean, you just when you didn't have anything, you were free from all the all the things that you could have. We we didn't have any righteousness in our life. I want to give you this last one. I, I, I'm going to take just a minute and finish this chapter out because this is uh, this is life under grace. It's it is uh, freedom living under grace, and there is responsibility living under grace. We have to yield our members to God, but then there is or there are consequences living under grace. Here's what here's 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 how Paul closes this chapter. Grace, just because you're saved and you're living under grace, that does not free you of the consequences of yielding to sin. Now listen, I'm talking to save, we're talking to save people. Do you get all these yees? He's talking yees. You're the servants of Christ. You're, you're not the slaves of sin anymore. You're servants. So we're t- he's talking to Christian people here, saved people, and what he's telling them is this. He said, listen, just because you are living in grace, that does not mean you can go out and do whatever you want to do and expect there to be no consequences of it. Even for, sa- even for Christians, you yield yourself to sin and you will reap death you'll reap the consequences of it. Grace does not negate the consequences of sin even for a Christian. Now, we're still going to heaven. Somebody say amen. But that death that he's talking about, I believe, and I'll show you here in just a second, that death he's talking about right here, this is death, not necessarily spending eternity in hell. And that is the end of sin, no doubt about that. A life lived in sin, an unsaved person. But this death here is a brokenness of life is what it is. Look what he says in verse 21. He said, well, really it starts in verse 20. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Now listen, he's going to ask you a question. He said, go back and think about before you got saved. Here's what he wants to ask you. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? That's a question. Here's what he's asking. I think we can all identify with this. He's asking, remember before you got saved? Do you remember the things you used to do before you got saved? He said, are you now dealing with any consequences of that that you're now ashamed of? Is there anything that you used to do before you got saved that now you're ashamed that you did it? Is there anything that you, that you did before you got saved that you're still reaping some of the consequences of those things? Just because you got saved, just because you got put under grace, it didn't make all those things vanish and disappear. That's what he's saying right there. He's saying before, before some people start being critical of grace, say, well, grace just just sloppy, agape, you know, just wipes everything away. You can live however you want to do. Paul said, well, hold on, put the brakes on that. He said, put the brakes on that because I'm living in grace and there's still things that I'm now ashamed of that I did back then. Paul brings it up time and time again, the things he did as a lost man. You know why? Because he struggled with it, plagued his mind. He talked about, over and over again, he talked about how he persecuted the church of God. Talked about, man, they, they, they laid, they laid, uh, uh, the, the clothes of, of a young deacon by the name of Stephen, they laid them at his feet. You don't think he thought about, you don't think he he thought about that? Some people say that might have been a part of his thorn in the flesh. And all. I have no idea, but, Man, that's just something that he struggled with and dealt with. Just because Paul was under grace didn't mean it absolved him from all the... By the way, that's why we plead with you. Give your life to God. Don't yield to sin. Is there grace when I, when I mess up? Yes. And I'm glad to tell you there's grace. I'm glad to tell you the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses every sin and all sin. But there is still consequences that you've got to deal with if you're going to live in sin, man. You're going to still have to deal with junk the rest of your life. That's why grace is not even anything close to a license to sin. You're still going to have to deal with stuff. What did it produce? Shameful things. Deadly things. Listen, just because you get saved, just because you get it under the blood, just because you ask forgiveness, they don't always put the marriage back together. They don't always make relationships with other people right. They don't always make you children uh, uh, turn out right. That doesn't don't mean you get your job back. That doesn't mean the scars are not in. It doesn't mean your finances. It doesn't mean all your money comes back. Grace doesn't do all that. It's not a magic pill. It's not a magic potion. That's what he's talking about. He said, verse 21, for the end of those things is death. He's not talking about dying like croak falling over dying. He's not talking about going to hell because he's talking to save people. He's talking about living with shameful consequences of sin, living in a brokenness of life. That's what it does to you. Verse 22, but now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness. Here's what grace does do, though. This is awesome. Grace don't absolve all that, but here's what grace does do. Grace gives you the opportunity to start planting better seeds. And so you start reaping better things. Grace gives you the opportunity now to start producing better fruit in your life. You get to enjoy things in your life. Yes, you can't do away with yesterday, but you can plant something good today and reap something awesome tomorrow in your life. So that's what grace does. Grace stops the shameful death production in your life, and it changes what your factory is putting out. Now different consequences. Now I'm saved. Now I can yield myself to God. Now I can live for Jesus. And though I still bear marks of sin and still deal with consequences, my mind might be played. But guess what? I get to start producing something else in my life, something that's glorious and wonderful. And that's what grace can do and does do. Thank God for that. That's what he's saying. He said, but now being made free from sin, And become servants unto God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And here's the warning. Here's what it is. For the wages of sin is death. Now, I know we use this. It's the Romans road. We use it for lost people. Nothing wrong with that because the principle is right. Sin pays death. Listen, you know the soul that sinneth it shall die. I mean that that is right. But in the context here, what he's talking about is this: you live unto sin, you yield your body instrument of sin. He's listen, sin only pays one paycheck, and it's death, it's brokenness, barrenness, shamefulness. That's all it'll give you. That's all it pays out. But guess what? God has. He has a gift. That's grace. Anything you get, you don't have to pay for. That's grace. Living under grace, we get the gift of God, and that is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the enablement to live a new life through Christ. So what do we do? We know it. We reckon it. We yield our body to God, and we obey our new master, and then we enjoy living the blessed life under the grace of God. Let's stand together. Father, we love you.